0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Money Mitch Effect. I'm your host, Mitch Michaels. Thanks for joining the sports podcast. We got a lot to talk about today. One day away from the NBA draft, I'm going to talk to my buddy, Brandon Marcus, host of the Mostly Banner podcast. We talk about some NBA offseason notes, Kawhi Leonard. If he's really going to leave the Spurs, he reportedly wants out. Popovich is going to, trying to mend that as we speak. We talk about what LeBron may want to do. We look at a quick mock of the NBA draft. 1-14, we go through who the best players are and what each team in the lottery should do. We break all that down. And then my buddy Mike Indergaard is going to call in to discuss the NHL awards, which are tonight. Who's going to come away with the hardware, some off-season notes, the Capitals, how they were celebrating their Stanley Cup, Barry Trotz not coming back to coach the team, all that and more. More hockey, more basketball. It's the Money Mitch Effect. Let's start the show. All right, now joining us on the Money Mitch Effect. It's been far too long since this guy's been on the show, but he's back again, Brandon Marcus, host of the Mostly Banner podcast. Thanks for coming on the show, Brandon, for the offseason and for the NBA draft, two of your favorite moments. Thanks for joining the program.
1: Hey, glad to be back. I was just thinking the other day how it's been a little bit since uh, I've been on here, and I'm glad to talk some NBA. It's exciting. Normally, uh, the NBA draft is not something that I care about considering the Clippers have been the lottery Um, probably two times maybe in the last seven or eight years, and now all of a sudden we're back.
0: Back with a couple of picks. I do want to say this, though. We're going to start with some of the NBA offseason stuff. I actually am a fan of the draft. I I really do. I'm intrigued by seeing just the jockeying of positions, the potential for trades, some of the best college players that we follow in college basketball and and where they're going to end up, and some international players. I'm not the craziest fan of the NBA free agent jockeying. I think part of it isn't the actual signing, Brandon. It's just all this ridiculous information that comes out that, oh, LeBron's looking for charter schools in L.A. and Houston. Or I heard from my sister's brother's cousin that all this stuff is going to happen. I just don't like the flooding of information that I know is not real.
1: Yeah, it's some of it is real. I mean... The looking for schools thing, though, is really not, considering that you got to remember that these guys have homes in like three or four different states. <laughs> so it really does not matter. I mean, I think LeBron still has a place in Miami. And so what are you going to do? Say he's going to go back to Miami. I mean, that's a distinct possibility, by the way. People are not really counting that as an option, considering that his family loves Miami. Um, but nonetheless, it's, there's only so many things that we can actually trust nowadays and uh, going off where the kid might go to school next year because of some random person saying that. I think it was Gary Payton, actually. Uh, <laughs> you can't really just count that at all.
0: So let me start with this question. Is there any scenario, any scenario at all in the NBA free agency where LeBron isn't doesn't hold the key to all of this? Like he has to make the first move, right? Or is there any scenario where teams, maybe the Lakers, maybe another team with a draft day trade, will make an off-season move before LeBron signs. Is that possible, or is it all about LeBron where he goes first?
1: Well, you know the funny part about all this is that I think LeBron has to tell the Cavs by the 30th his intention on what he plans to do next season.
0: Right, to opt-in, yeah.
1: Right, but here's the funny thing is that normally with a deal like this, if you're going to have LeBron leave – um, you would want to get something back in return Just like the Clippers did with Chris Paul mm-hmm. Where he said, you know what, I'm leaving I'm signing somewhere else And he at least gave the Clippers a chance To get something back for him And the Clippers got a draft pick They got several players um, And that helped them I mean, they didn't completely tank because of that So the question is Will the Cavs get the same exact luxury That the Clippers got Where they can get something back Because you would think right. That you're going to trade LeBron that you would want a draft pick or two or three back. But here's the issue. The draft is Thursday. Mm -hmm. That's before LeBron would tell you where he's going to go. So I'm curious to see how it's going to play out because I wanted to know if LeBron would maybe decide before the draft and that would give Cleveland a chance to maybe start planning on acquiring draft picks and just tanking completely. But I don't think that's going to happen. Right, a couple of things I want
0: to say to that. One, you know, you're right that he has the thirtieth to opt in, and you want to do, you want to get something back. There's certain teams, specifically the Rockets, that I think he has to opt in for that to be a realistic possibility, given the cap space. If he opts in, they can trade for him, which also means another point he'd have to do business with Dan Gilbert. So I don't know if that happens. That's the other and side. And those do
1: don't get along at all, from what I've been reading and no. hearing. So that's a problem because does LeBron care? That he's going to completely screw Cleveland and if they don't get anything in return for him that they're going to go to the basement of the conference and and in the NBA. Does he care? I don't think he does. I think at this point it's one of those things where, hey, I got them an NBA title. The rest kind of really doesn't doesn't really matter.
0: When they won the East this year, he brushed right by him like he wasn't even standing there. When he had his hand, <laughs> when he had his hand outstretched. So yeah, I mean, I, I just don't think they get along. And but it might be in LeBron's best interest to do business that way if he wants to go to Houston or a team that doesn't have the cap space to just outright sign him. I don't know what the eighth pick though, their lottery pick, the 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 Brooklyn pick that they got didn't really move up in the lottery. I don't know other than just outright trading and, and trying to flip it for a veteran. There's not really a game-changer that's probably going to be available at 8 that's going to make LeBron stay one way or the other. So I would assume that the Cavs operate, if they do draft, like he's not coming back, we're going to draft for the future of our franchise.
1: Well, I think they're going to do either. I mean, they're going to do the same thing with that 8th pick, whether he's staying or whether he's right. leaving. They're to try and get the best player available and hope that he can contribute. It's not like they're going to take maybe a project that they think will be great in three or four years if they think he's going to leave. And they're going to take some guy they can contribute now. I don't think that's the way they're going to operate on this one. I think they're going to take the best player available at that spot. Uh, but the thing is, are, are we sure LeBron's leaving? Be, because I think that everyone is counting that a little too early. Because he's known to make some thing, make some decisions that do surprise us. I'd say 70-30.
0: 30 being he stays, which isn't a complete shock. Yeah, that's fair. I opting in might not be a bad play if you think the Warriors are just a super team and you're not sure what LeBron wants to do and there's not this ideal scenario going on. The only thing I would say to that B-Mark is age. I know he's superhuman LeBron, but he is getting up there and I think he sees that he's not going to have this reign forever. So maybe he wants to get out in front and, and set, you know, when he has a chance, set the table for where he wants to go next. I just I don't know. I, it's him staying would be a little bit of a shock to me, just because it feels like it's run its course. There was no, there was no talk of, oh, I mean, I'm gonna, I'm gonna stay here my whole career. I, I'm, I, it seems like he doesn't get along with the owner. That's a big part too, and the fact that the Cavs didn't trade that pick during the season when the value was higher tells me that I think they think he's gonna leave too. I think they flipped that pick, no question. If they think he's coming back.
1: Yeah, I think that makes sense. And and there's no way that he's really going to tell you during the season that he's staying or whether he's going. It's one of those things that he's concentrated on the season. He's not deciding. But I think just the way things played out towards the end of the year, um, I think he realized how much he needs to handle. And I don't think he wants to do that. I mean, 15, 16 years into his career – I mean, what's the point? What is he, 18? No, he's 15 years in, right? Yeah, 2003 it, draft. Yeah, it's absurd. I mean, he doesn't want to carry that on his legs because he would like to play with his son. That is for sure something that he wants to do, and he doesn't want to be broken down by the time that happens.
0: I just don't think that he might not even know what he wants to do at this point. And the fact I don't that he has he to opt in, in at that point is, you know, June 30th. We'll see, a couple of days after the draft. The only reason I brought up that first point, B-Mark, about whether or not he holds the, the key to all this, which we assume that he does, is that Kawhi Leonard news. When he reportedly doesn't want to stay in San, in San Antonio, he wants to be in L.A., preferably the Lakers. I'm thinking of a scenario. I'm, I'm trying to think of a scenario, rather, where he gets to L.A. this year. But I'm struggling to think of a world where Popovich is going to trade him to the Lakers.
1: Yeah. That, that's one thing that everybody keeps discounting. They think that all of a sudden they're going to take the best offer. And sure, they're going to. But if there's an A and a B and they're very close, they're going to take the offer that doesn't send him to a team that they know they would be creating a super team if they trade him to the Lakers. And, and I think you're right on there. But what's interesting is that, again, it's another player that you think you would want to get a draft pick back in return for. But I don't think we're going to have an answer on Kawhi by the time the draft happens on Thursday. But I'm in the camp that he's going to stay in San Antonio. Uh, I just think that Pop is good enough as a person and just good enough at figuring this out. Because remember, LaMarcus Aldridge was all but gone last offseason. And somehow they figured out a way to make it work. And Mm -hmm. L.A. was great last year. So if they're able to do the same thing with Kawhi, then money talks. Because if he ends up leaving... I think he's putting away $30 million that he's throwing away, essentially, by not getting that max contract that he could get with San Antonio.
0: There was a lot of stuff leaking out about the how that relationship was deteriorating, him not being at the playoff games last year, all the that rehab stuff. That was a concern,
1: stuff. for sure. Yeah, that was a concern.
0: But the Spurs and Popovich in particular, like you said, they don't make rash decisions. They don't just, oh, he wants out, let's trade him immediately. They're not going to do that. Nothing about their track record says, "Oh, we we have to get rid of him." And I laugh a little bit at the people that say Kawhi has all the leverage. No, he doesn't. No, he doesn't have the leverage in this case. The Spurs will gladly wait at least till the All Star break. That's that's what this feels like. A reasonable finish line would be, but I don't think they're just going to give up on him just because that report comes out. Popovich is going to have a chat with him. They're going to try to figure it out. He's repaired relationships before. This idea that they're just going to dump him on the Lakers is, is absurd to me. But, hey, if he really wants to uh, pull a fast one on him, he just said, L.A. Hey, you could trade him to your Clippers. I mean, yeah. <laughs> that be Listen, a Listen, that's thing. an option,
1: but the thing is, is that would have to involve 12 and 13, and that would have to be figured out by the time the draft happens on Thursday. I mean, this podcast that's is completely, completely irrelevant if all of a sudden, tomorrow morning we find out that the Clippers have decided to trade 12, 13, and Tobias Harris for Kawhi Leonard. That's that, what that's you think something. it would take? yeah i think it would unfortunately because i'd prefer not to get rid of tobias harris i thought he was really really good and he contributed on both ends and was a really nice score for the clippers so i think that would take a lot to get a guy like Kawhi. but it scares the shit out of me to get Kawhi and not know how he is health wise because whatever that injury was last year just seemed super strange
0: yeah that's a fair point Man, there's a lot to discuss there. I mean, we know Paul George looks like he's going to L.A. The LeBron rumors there. I just think it's fascinating. A team like the Rockets, who's in the LeBron sweepstakes, they're probably benefiting from the fact that LeBron will have to opt in by the 30th. If he doesn't opt in, probably hard for him to get there. Then you got to think about paying Capella, which I think that they should do if LeBron's not going to be there. So many dominoes hinge on those top players. But I think a lot of people... Are forgetting the fact that there's going to be a lot of big-name free agents and potential trade targets this offseason.
1: Oh, yeah. It's 2018 and 2019, and that, there's two really good free agent classes. Um, and even the Clippers have to figure out what they want to do, with De- or DeAndre Jordan has to figure out what he wants to do because he has a chance to either opt in or uh, – end up being a free agent. So there are a lot of guys. Kyrie. <laughs> that, yeah. And it's listen, Kyrie could be gone in a couple of years. It, it, you never know what Boston's going to do. Danny Ainge could easily trade up in the draft and all of a sudden <laughs> get Doncic and he could be the key to the future at the point guard position. It, it's so strange that one player, and, and I think you're right here, Mitch, is that LeBron does really hold the cards because if he's going to stay, then Houston has to go to a plan B. If he's going to leave, then all these teams are going to try and figure out a way to get him, and I think he does end up taking meetings like normally free agents do, and he figures out where he wants to go. Because I don't think he wants—I don't think he knows where he wants to go right now.
0: Wow. Well, well, we'll see what happens. Uh, I'm I'm very intrigued by how this goes. And remember, the cap's not exactly going up—not that much anyway. So that's another added uh, added element in how this works.
1: If you had to guess right now, Mitch, before we go to the next topic, where does LeBron play his basketball next year on October 27th, whenever the opening uh, night is? Lakers. You really think LeBron's a Laker next year? I do.
0: I I think it'd be a two-year deal. I think this is the the era of LeBron's going to take these two-year deals with the one-year opt-out, and I think he's going to go to LA. I do. I, I do believe that there's the end of that relationship in Cleveland. I think it's, it starts with the owner, specifically, and the roster and some of the moves that kind of inhibited what they can do. And I don't think there's a, an ideal situation out there. Houston was the only one that kind of made sense if he really wants to play with Chris Paul for the first time. But if I, had to, if I had to bet, and I'm not fully confident in any of these bets, but I'd say the Lakers.
1: And you think he's okay going up against Golden State and going up against Houston the next couple of years?
0: He'll add PG because I do think Paul George comes... I think that puts him on the Rockets level, depending on what they do, some moves they can make. Golden State's tough. I mean, what scenario is there where he goes to any team and they're better than Golden State? I don't see it. I think Houston. I I don't think so. I I mean, we don't know what that roster is going to look like. Can they keep Gordon too? Capela's right, well probably gone. And right. that was one of the big things that really gave Golden State trouble was when Capella got going underneath. So I, that you might be right, but I, there's still a lot of variables like what does that roster look like with LeBron on
1: it. And, and, and not head. only that, but it gave Golden State trouble if they didn't have a bench. And because they they didn't have a bench, because they're paying Durant. Because once Durant came into the fold, then all of a sudden those guys they can't really pay for, and they got to hope that these guys take the mid-level exception or some lower salary to stay, and they end up with guys like Livingston and for a mm-hmm. solid amount that they paid him. But then they end up with back-end guys they are hoping their rookies contribute. And I'm not sure the Rockets have the same exact luxury on the bench.
0: Right. And luckily there's these dumb teams like Chicago that tri- that sell draft picks so they can have oh, so Jordan Bell. Uh, we'll see what happens. But all right, I want to talk about the draft. Brandon Marcus, Money Mitch effect. The NBA draft is here. And I'm excited for it. I'm excited for it for a lot of reasons. I think this is going to be a good one. Um, there's a couple top-end talent we would – all agree with, like a, a cutoff of around four at the top, some good lottery talent down into uh, the top 14, 15. So we'll go through about the top 14 picks, who we think is going to go where. But I'll ask you this question right away. B Mark, as an, as an Arizona guy and uh, a college basketball fan in general, who's the best player in this draft, if you had to think? Not who the Suns are going to take, but who you think is the best prospect this year?
1: That's so funny because I've listened to so much stuff. I, I listen to a lot of Bill Simmons, and he's all on the Luka Doncic train. Like, mm-hmm. It is beyond belief how much he believes in Luka. Um, and it really depends where you think the NBA is going in the next couple of years because when was the last time that drafting a center in today's NBA worked? I mean, it's one of those things where we're not reliant as much on the center as we have been. I mean, Let's look 10 years back. That's when we looked at a guy like Shaq. You looked at guys in the past like Hakeem Olajuwon, Patrick Ewing, David Robinson. But now it's more of a shooting game. Um, the thing is that Ayton can shoot. I mean, he shoots the three ball. He doesn't shoot it all that well. Um, his defense kind of sucks. But he's so long and so athletic that the potential is there for him to dominate. But I wonder, it depends, do you think that he can be the key to success? Like, are you going to give him the ball – with your team down by three minutes and you need a bucket. I don't think you do. And that's what scares me about Ayton. So I'm not sure if he's the number one guy.
0: So I have this is why I'm so fascinated. There really isn't a consensus number one. You can make the argument. Yeah, I don't think there is. The Ayton thing, that is the best critique of him. Not really a knock on his game per se, but where is the NBA going? How effective can he be at his role in the NBA? Doncic, it's funny. I really don't like player comparisons in general because I think everybody is a little different mm-hmm. and it's hard to say what is he James Harden he has a little Steve Nash in his vision but he plays a lot slower he has been going against pros I think he has an all-around game and he makes his teammates better I like when we disagree I'll go out on a limb my favorite player is Marvin Bagley really yeah I, I like I like his moves in the post he's polished he's proven even as a freshman he was the best player on the court pretty much every game he had in college I, I'm not saying he'll go number one. I'm not saying he should go number one, but I think that's the guy. That's, you know, Doncic will be a close second, eight and third. That's how I would rank the top three.
1: Okay, so you go eight and third. It's funny because I was listening to um, another mock draft, and there is somebody that said Marvin Bagley is the top guy available. I mean, just because of the numbers he put up in college, and I don't disagree with that. Sometimes we don't really look at the numbers that a guy puts up in college and just. Is like, okay, that guy's good. I He's mean beast, Steph, Curry, yeah. Steph Curry was putting up big numbers in college. He's good. These guys are not scoring because they're bad. I mean, they are good at basketball. If you can score and put up thirty points and fifteen rebounds or whatever Bagley was doing and do it against good teams in college basketball, then you're a good player. So I think Bagley's a guy that is set up to do well. And anybody that's going to criticize defense, I understand that. But you also need to score in today's NBA, and I think that's really important. So I, I do like Bagley.
0: I think his game's smooth as well. And, and maybe I'm just a fan of adding in the Euro step, being able to shoot, being able to have touch around the rim. And and we mentioned what direction is the NBA going? He seems like the perfect five on this small ball team. You know, down the stretch, I really do think he could play well. There's some other names in this draft. Uh, and the other guy that we didn't mention, who's getting a lot of look at the top three four, is Jaron Jackson Jr. And, and I, I watched a saying, lot of I watched a lot guy. of Michigan State games, in Big Ten games, Brandon. But I mean, and, and I think he's got. It's funny because I remember his dad from playing on the Spurs for a couple of years. But I don't know. I mean, this is a three and D guy. This is the new age NBA. But we might be projecting a little bit with him. Like we're just assumed that that role matters, and he could and he could develop into just the perfect specimen for the new age NBA but we didn't really see it in college and that worries me a little bit
1: yeah but one thing with him is that you mentioned the 3 and D and his ability to shoot the ball and also play defense and that does play in today's NBA and especially if he's able to switch out on guards which I think he is able to do then if you're able to play defense and you're able to switch off and play different positions because how often do we see in the NBA finals where someone would come set a screen and a player would be stuck on a bit I mean a smaller guard. Let's say let's Steph Curry versus mm-hmm. Kevin Love, for example, or Steph Curry versus Tristan Thompson. And Thompson had to somehow guard Curry. This way you've a bigger person that is able to come out and fight off the screen and stay with the guard. And I think that helps with Jaron Jackson is that he has the ability to stay with those guards. I think
0: it also helps too that Tom Izzo has also not done a great job with a few college players that have turned out to be in good pros. So I think we're kind of seeing exactly how that goes do you think that's the clear four and and if so is there a drop off i mean we, we got bomba trey young some other names but are those the i top think that's four? the
1: four yeah i think that's the four i think the only thing that really could screw you over is if a team like sacramento decides to get stupid and go with michael porter, porter jr too oh man that's, so, that's, that's classic
0: Kings. So, yeah. <laughs> we're gonna do a mock here in a little bit for of the of the lottery just predict how we think things are gonna go but I wanna ask you as a Clippers fan with twelve and thirteen, are you open to trading up and would it have to be for one of those one of those big four?
1: Yeah, I think so. I think if you're gonna end up giving up two picks, because how often do we look at the NBA draft like five years later, and only four or five guys are good in the top fifteen? It seems like it happens all the time. And if you'll get past drafts, the top three or four are not the top three or four best players, and so when you have a chance to go twelve and thirteen and get two chances to land somebody that can contribute, I think you have to keep that unless you are trading up into the top four to get one of those four guys. I think those are the clear four guys, but then again, we're going to be wrong about this in four or five years because those four guys they're not all going to pan out. Right? There's always a Donovan Mitchell or a player that I mean, it, right. when, even when Steph it? Curry. I mean, yeah. it's Curry dropped and even Damian Lillard I mean some of these guys we knew were going to be good but for some reason we didn't want to put them up there and I think Trey Young is one of those guys where we saw him perform he was outstanding for like two months and then kind of fell off the face of the earth but we know he can shoot and that's important and he is very like Steph Curry in the ability that you can get the basket I mean you can get to the basket and you can shoot but I just don't know if teams are passing on him just because he struggled but the guy proved he can score.
0: Right, and all it takes is the Kings to go full Sacramento and we could have a top player falling in the draft. So we think it's, we think it's simple, but all it takes is just one one deviation from the plot, from the main plan, and anything can happen. Um, all right, let, let's, look at, let's look at this draft. We'll go through the top five picks or so first, and then we'll kind of reconvene. But I do think Phoenix at number one is going to take eight. I don't think there's yeah. much of a mystery there. The tell has been there the whole time. And I and I do think Hayton's going to be a good pro, and, and putting him third on my list isn't trying to sell him short. I think he'll fit in well with Phoenix. I think he'll get the opportunity, because Phoenix is pretty thin up front, and in a lot of positions, to perform well early. And it'll be good to stay in the state of Arizona, so Aiton to Phoenix makes some sense to me.
1: Yeah, 100%. The one thing that worries me is that he's getting compared to guys like Andre Jumman. He's getting prepared, compared to De- DeMarcus Cousins. These guys aren't winning anywhere, and <laughs> no, so that's one thing is he's going to put up the numbers, but the question is, is that a guy that you can build your franchise around, and that's what worries me about Aiden. I'll
0: tell you the other thing, too, with Biggs in general, and maybe it's Cousins who, who opened my eyes to this. I always like to see what kind of shape they're in early in their careers because mm-hmm. usually it seems like it takes a few years to get and, – and I put Embiid in this case right now. Embiid's great, obviously – but he's got to get a better fitness. He was getting tired in the playoffs. Boogie Cousins early in his career. So we'll see what and what stamina level is early. I think he's got a long career ahead of him. But I want to see, you know, at 7 feet, 260 pounds, if he can run up and down the court the way the new NBA has been going. So yeah, we'll have to see. Sacramento. Now this is interesting. Did they take oh, down? I, the, I, just, this is, I, I don't think they would. <laughs> they've, they've butchered so many drafts in the last couple of years.
1: not as much as memphis have you seen memphis like last 10 drafts
0: well to be fair with memphis some of those were i think outside the lottery so yeah there's no coming back from machine to beat in 2008 i mean that is just
1: insane and trading away love for mayo yeah i still to beat though i mean
0: mayo gave you something you got absolutely nothing out of the second overall pick but Doncic, bagley somebody else what do you think they do here
1: well, the smart money would be to go with Doncic. I think you have to go Doncic the two. I do also. Um,
0: I, I, I think that's where they're going to go. The only option, I know we've heard this before and other analysts, say him and Fox, the Anthony Fox playing together. How is that going to work? I don't really care about that. are not no. the best player. Your team is not very good. You need talent. You can figure it out on the fly who's going to be a part of the team.
1: Yeah, you're not a team that's about to win 50 games. If you're a team that's about to win 50 games, you can get – a shooting guard that you need, and get a small forward. You want to get as much talent as possible and then make them battle it out and play the best players.
0: So three Atlanta. Contrary to popular opinion, even though we said Bagley in the top three, I don't think Bagley's going to go here. I just have a weird feeling about Atlanta going with a shooter, either a Trey Young type or a Jaron Jackson Jr.
1: Yeah, I think Jaron Jackson makes sense here. Orlando's well,
0: another team that their roster right now might be the weakest in the NBA. I don't think They're they get out. enough credit for how just poor they are and how bad some of the front eight, front office contracts they've handed out have been. There's uh,
1: only two guys I think that you can not even build your team around, but two guys that you like. I think you like what John Collins gave you um, in the second part of last year. Mm-hmm. And I think you like um, – not Tayshaun Prince. Um, Torian Prince. And Prince. Torian Prince. There you go.
0: Yeah, I mean, Schroeder's okay, but they're paying him close to $20 million to be be like the 20th best point guard in the league. So that's a little ridiculous there. Yeah, I would say Jaron Jackson as well. I feel like 3 and D is is what they're going to get. They can get a guy that can play a multitude of positions, maybe even a small ball five as well. Um, I like him there, and I think Memphis strikes gold. As long as they're not willing to shed Chandler Parsons' contract and and just think super, super long-term, just go Bagley here.
1: Yeah, yeah that 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 would make sense. I, I, or do if you, they go Obamba?
0: Well, here's the thing. Okay, I'll ask you this question: Is Marcus All a part of this team? I Going think
1: forward. so. I, well, go well, how? I'm gonna look at Marcus All's age because he's not that old. It's, I mean, how old? No, is he's he? a couple years younger than Powell. He's thir- who's? He's huh. 33, so he's got probably three or four years left. But I think you are worried a little bit about his ability to stay healthy.
0: Um, I I don't see Bamba and Gasol being – I don't see that working out at all.
1: No, but if you want another big man like with uh, Randolph and Gasol, then I think you maybe go Bagley. I think Bagley is a
0: huge steal at four. I think he can play a couple different positions like we said, and I think he'd work well in Memphis. It just seems like it's perfect for what they would want to do. But, hey, you know what? I don't know. Dallas at five. I mean, do they get Mo Bamba by default? We're assuming that no trades take place, but – I would say, I mean, you know, this
1: would be a sleeper. If they didn't draft Dennis Smith last year, I'd say sleeper Trey Young potential. I was going to say the same exact thing, but yeah. because you drafted Dennis Smith, you're not going Trey Young. Bamba as a as a big inside. You know, I, and it's funny. Dirk's still there
0: hanging around. I don't know how much longer he's going to play. But Bamba, I, I do think that. I mean, the wingspan is ridiculous. What is it, like close to eight feet or something stupid like that?
1: Yeah, yeah. he's he's got some crazy metrics. He is the
0: Okay, I don't want to. I don't want to diminish what I think the kid's going to be in the pros, but he is the quintessential. My God, does this workout look great, prospect?
1: Well, oh, he's he's ashamed the beat, isn't he? <laughs>
0: yeah, and and I hope other teams aren't just totally alarmed. It would suck to be a big guy like this after the beat, like he just ruined it for everybody coming out of college.
1: Yeah, I mean, as a guy, is super long. Um, he's got the potential. The numbers are there, but the question is, can he actually be good? I don't know what he's going to give you offensively, and that's the one thing that worries me about him. (laughs) And I'm not sure that um, Mark Cuban will go for a guy like him. However, one thing to kind of keep an eye on is that Dallas, remember, they almost got DeAndre Jordan. If they think DJ is going to opt out and become a free agent, they've said that they're okay going after DJ again, despite him screwing them over before in the past. So you would have no need for Obama if you get a guy like DeAndre Jordan. So I wouldn't be surprised if Dallas ends up getting a guy like Michael Porter Jr. Ooh. Well, I wanted to ask you, if we get
0: away from, let's say, Bomba's five and, and we can play with different scenarios, but mm. looking at the rest of the lottery, who are some of the prospects that you think are that sleeper potential? It sounds like Porter Jr., depending on the injury thing, could be yeah. one of them. Is, do you uh, think Trey he's a, Young.
1: Yeah, yeah, we I, didn't say Trey yeah. Young
0: yet either. I would say if... I'll throw this name out there. If Dallas thinks they're going to get D.J., if they think center is on lockdown, who I would take, given that you took Dennis Smith last year, underrated, I'll go Wendell Carter out of Duke, the Dirk replacement. And defensively, he's going to give you a lot as well. So that would be probably where I would go. He's still a big guy, but he's more of a power forward than a center. And I think he can shoot a little bit as well, and I think I would go there. Porter's injury, I just, man, this this has got the ring of great, you know, 30 games for the next four years. Oh, he looks great, but he can't play a full 82. Mm-hmm. So I'm a little, yeah. I'd be worried. And, and you mentioned Obama, Like, What can he give you offensively? We're talking about the maybe the fifth pick in the draft. What a luxury to be seven feet tall.
1: I wouldn't be surprised also if a team tries to trade up. Um, I don't know how to pronounce this guy's last name. It's Shea, was it Gilgius Alexander? Oh, yeah.
0: oh, yeah. And I'm, I'm high on him as well. Yeah. When we talk about, we'll call him SGA. I think that's the easiest yeah. way to remember him. 6'6", six, 180-pound. Six, point guard from kentucky if it's you're Sean looking for, then. all if over then, right if you're looking for a if you're looking for a sleeper potential who's this year's Donovan mitchell if we even get someone that good it's probably unlikely but looking at kentucky might be a, a wise way to do because they have all this talent every year calipari's mm-hmm. offense spreads it out you don't really know which one it's going to be but i feel like there's always that breakout from kentucky devin booker type who just didn't get the ball didn't get featured enough
1: no, and I think you have to realize that these guys are panning out in the NBA for the most part. I mean, even if it's a guy like Michael Kidd Gilchrist, these guys are contributing as starters. That's why I even like a guy like Kevin Knox, mm-hmm. is someone that can shoot and also play three. I mean, also play defense.
0: So let's look back at the rest of this draft: Money, Mitch, Effect, Brandon, Marcus. If we agree, for the sake of just being being simplistic here, that Bamba goes to Dallas, no yeah. trades, no other drama. Orlando at six is it Trey Young time here? Yeah, I can't figure out what Orlando's going to do because they just draft all the same player. I mean, they have they have
1: the biggest collection of threes and fours. And, and that's the question: is like, what do they have? What do they yeah. I mean, they're, they're not happy with their point guard, um, right? I mean, they, they, no,
0: they're not. Do I they, don't know what this team is. Honestly, like it's just so boring.
1: Don't they have? Didn't they uh, trade um, for Phoenix's point guard at the deadline?
0: <laughs> yeah. I think so. I remember looking at this Magic roster. The only player that they said was untouchable was uh, Aaron Gordon.
1: Yeah, well, Gordon, you know, is locked into the four. Yeah, I mean, but, I mean, even that, like, that's kind of sad, too. Like, he's untouchable. And Vucevic is uh, is locked into the five, but he's going to be a free agent soon, if I'm not mistaken. For so me, I,
0: yeah, the, uh, Jonathan think, Isaac, like, they, they have some talent, but... And Jonathan's, his Anya. Yeah, and Simmons actually had a good year. That was a good signing for them uh, from San Antonio. But
1: do they have a point guard that they trust? I mean, that's one thing is that they – I mean, I'm looking through their roster, and and I just don't see much. No, it's got to be Trey Young. I I think it has to be him here
0: then if he's still available.
1: I think it's Trey Young too.
0: I don't like the – I mean, I told you I don't like player uh, pro comparisons. I'm not really a fan of the Steph comparison. It's just kind of unfair to compare anyone to Steph Curry. But I do think the question with Trey Young is going to be, not if he has NBA range, because I think he clearly has that, but playing within the confines, playing within a system where he's not just a ball-dominant player when he actually, even though it's Orlando, has some talent to play with. I want to see him run an offense. I think he can shoot, but can he run an offense? I mean, he's not really, I don't think that he's big enough to be an off-ball shooting guard. I think he's going to be the point guard, you know, and defense is one thing, but can you run the offense? It'll be interesting to see
1: yeah I think Trey Young's the choice there I think you got to be creative and you got to hope that he can be something that's great Chicago Bulls
0: seventh overall pick I don't know how they didn't draft in the top five given what their roster was got great got great return from Laurie Markkinen this seems like one of two picks to me and, and I'll I'll throw these out there Michael Porter Jr. if he's still available or a guy another proven college player Mikhail Bridges, Mikhail Bridges. I, I mean I think it's based on their roster needs, one or the other. you like one of these guys or somebody else that we haven't said?
1: No, I think I think you're hanging the nail on the head there. I think Michael Porter Jr., I think you have to go with the upset at that point, right?
0: Yeah, they're not expecting to be good for a long time. Uh, <laughs> I think that's part of it. They're not rushing into anything. So Porter Jr. at that point would be a good pick if you want to roll the dice, if you want to maybe try upside. And, and Porter Jr., I don't like to gamble at four or five, but seven seems more within reason. So... Yeah. That yeah. puts that puts Cleveland on the clock and, and we mentioned it. At this point, Trey Young's gone, the names you mentioned. Don't see a player that's going to influence LeBron to stay. If you're making this pick, Brandon, and you're you're trying to make the Cavs better for the long run, who do you think can do that best at eight?
1: Uh well you gotta take a guy that you think will be there for a while, and the one thing that worries me is that the last time the Cavs had a high draft pick, they took Anthony Bennett. Um, so part of me is not quite sure that they are going to take Bridges like we might think that they will. Um, they don't really have much at the point guard position. Colin Sexton maybe? Yeah, so I think I'm leaning towards Colin Sexton.
0: I would say Bridges just because, I mean, yeah, you're right. I mean, the, their, their wing play was just so atrocious last year. I, I just think Bridges offers you a little bit more. Given that he can play shooting guard, he can play small forward. LeBron might not be there; there might be an opening there. But J.R. Smith's in year going into year, I think thirteen next year. Mm-hmm. You know, they had they were struggling on the to find guards to even play in the finals. I don't know if they're going to go point guard here. I think Sexton's fallen a little bit on the draft boards. I am a fan of his as well, but I think Bridges will probably
1: go here at eight.
0: Then we got to yeah. go to the Knicks. Then we got to go to the, another sorry franchise,
1: that has, another team that doesn't have a point guard. Although they have like three or four mediocre guys, and they were relying on Trey Burke, who was good last year, and then Moody, I think they traded for. <laughs> and so I don't, I don't know what they're going to do. Sexton here might
0: make more sense. Well, if he's available. But yeah. Then again, I mean, they could just—they should be just drafting talent. So, um, I think. You like Porzingis and you like his ability to be a five if not ne- if necessary, but he's coming back from injury. I'd say yeah. we'll I'd say we'll lock down Sexton here, Sexton Bridges in, in whatever order, eight nine. As you we think
1: so?
0: Yeah, I, I don't I think the Knicks could say, look, Sexton might be the best player left. We we have so many point guard issues. We can we can play him and Moody together. I <laughs> it's the Knicks. Do they have I a mean,
1: what... small forward that they like though. I mean, uh, that's the thing, is that they have so many point guards and they may have liked what they saw with Trey Burke. I'm not sure that they can they go um with another guard.
0: If the Cavs take sex, then then I think Bridges falls into their lap and they're they're in a pretty good shape he can play yeah. I think both so I think they'd be okay there. The Sixers at 10, wow. Isn't it refreshing that they're not picking in the top 9 anymore? <laughs> yeah, right.
1: For now, until they end up trading Covington and they end up moving up in the draft and taking a guy like Doncic or something to play with Simmons. I don't know. They'll do something ridiculous.
0: The process hasn't been just smooth sailing. I should point that out. There's been some
1: bad picks that gets glossed over <laughs> in the
0: history of the process.
1: Yeah. it's. I, I don't understand what they're going to do. Do they trade Fultz? Do they hold on to him? Um, what team actually trusts that Fultz can shoot again? I, I don't know. I, I think that the 76ers really hold the cards to this offseason after LeBron, um, along with Boston, because I think those two teams have so many assets and picks that they could deal. But uh, I'll, I'll be interested to see what they do with this pick. I think your boy Wendell Carter Jr. is an option here.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but I, I think you can really go with so many group, so many different players here. You can go with Carter. You can go with Knox. You can go with Bridges. There are a lot of different choices. It's just a matter of who they like best.
0: I think if Knox doesn't go at ten, he'll go at eleven to Charlotte, given their need for wings and, and, and shooting in general. Um, I don't know about Carter here. I, I just I don't know if that's another big that they need, but maybe he'd get some time and some run there. So um, there was there were stretches where the Sixers just, when Embiid was tired, they didn't have any depth on the front court, which is crazy because all they did was draft big guys for like what seemed like fifteen years. Right. Uh, so maybe Carter is the play there, and then Charlotte maybe goes around and gets Knox at uh, eleven. Do
1: which, you think that Charlotte goes with Knox even after they just drafted Malik Monk from Kentucky, who didn't do all that much?
0: Yeah, well, I think looking at it, Knox is a little taller. If I'm, yeah, he's about six nine. Monk's not very big. I mean, oh, you're saying like the school thing? Like they had, yeah, a experience yeah. Just drafted
1: that from that school that it didn't quite pan out. I mean, it's only been one year. But, I want yep. to see
0: the first fist fight, not fist fight, but I want to see the first fight in the war room between Jordan and Mitch Kupchak. Yeah. <laughs> see if there's good. any that,
1: that is a good point, though. Mitch Kupchak, this is the first year that he really runs a draft.
0: Yeah, he's like, I didn't make that pick last year. I'm taking the best player. So, right, yeah. I would say Knox here. I just, uh, man. I mean, yeah, especially last year, given that they took Monk and when Mitchell was available. All right, B-Mark, your Clippers, 12 and 13, assuming that they don't trade up. Based on what we've said, we kind of have a similar top eleven. Who do you think they go with twelve and thirteen, assuming they make both picks?
1: So we're assuming that ten is going to be what? Are we assuming that we're going to go with Knox at ten? We'll say Carter and Carter at ten,
0: Knox at at eleven. Yeah. So then that would basically
1: put most of the top eleven in. You got you got to take Bridges, don't you? You gotta take Miles Bridges from Michigan. Okay.
0: So that no, I I think I think one of these picks is for sure going to be a Miles Bridges type wing player. And if that's the guy you like, I yeah, you know what? I would say given that you want more somebody that could play a little bigger, I would take Bridges. I do think that Zaire Smith is intriguing to me. But I think Bridges is probably a little bigger and can do a little more. I would take SGA with that other pick, though. That's what I was going to say. That's yeah. my other guy.
1: I would go SGA. I think you uh, you make up for losing Sean Livingston um, in years past, and that's you get the son, <laughs> get the guy that you think resembles him the most, yeah. and you go with SGA at a uh, at your next pick at thirteen. Wow, and then yeah,
0: I mean, I think that's good. I think you're gonna you're gonna have to get different types of positions. I think this helps the roster. Gives Mm -hmm. them roster flexibility as well. How do you say Denver rounds out the
1: lottery? Do you think they go with a big, a guard? What do we think here? Denver has so many wings. Um, That's one thing with them is that they have a lot of different shooting guards and small forwards. So I think that what makes most sense for you, I mean you have Jamal Murray going as your starting point guard, so you don't really need much there. Um, I think a backup big would help them. Oh, I think that's yeah. one thing to look at. I think there's only one really available that fits the mode, and
0: that's Robert Williams out of Texas A&M. Yeah, a he's a guy sophomore
1: with the Clippers. Yeah, yeah, I think I think that's a guy that could go there.
0: Rare upperclassman, in the or not, you know, we should call him an upperclassman. of a sophomore, basically, but he would be a, a, a good pick for Denver. Uh, lastly, this was a fun little recap of the lottery. Any players down the boards, maybe even into the second round, that you think could be good, good pro prospects? Hmm.
1: Um, I want to see what DiVincenzo looks like as a pro. That's he, funny because I was going to go with his teammate, Jalen Brunson. Oh, uh, I was going to go with a guy who led that team and just seemed like he was a good, solid player. And I think I'm going to go with Jalen Brunson. Nobody
0: said Grayson Allen. Confused to see how he does. I, I don't know what he's going to look like. Gary Trent Jr. out of Duke is another one. There was one other prospect that I was looking at the wait uh, around. If I'm trying to find somebody in. Uh, I should say somebody later on uh, that will do something. I got to give love to my guy Bates D F out of Ohio State. He's a junior, six eight, two twenty five, and and just because he's a three and D guy, maybe there's a role for him every mm-hmm. year. Second round undrafted players, somebody makes an impact.
1: I like um, I like Raleigh Alkins a lot too. I thought he was good with uh, I think he was good with the Arizona, um, and he's a guy that can play, but I'm not quite sure. Which of these guys are actually going to pan out? It's so funny because you look at guys that were so talented in college. You look at a guy like Grayson and Allen. And then DeAnthony Melton, the guy who didn't even play for USC this year right. because he was eligible. Um, Raleigh Alkins. I think some of these guys are going to turn out to be good. Um, it'll be interesting. Chemezi Metu, another one that's super talented at USC, um, but you don't know.
0: No, you don't, and that's what makes this kind of fun as well. such a crap shoot. It is, especially after it. If you can find value late first in the second round, yeah. that contract's a great asset going forward.
1: So, oh, for sure. If you can nail that, you're in really good shape.
0: Yeah, well, we'll see. We'll see. I'm excited. Brandon Marcus, this was fun. We'll have to chat hoops some more when we have more clarity of this off season. but phase one starts with the draft.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And it starts uh in just a couple of days. I'm looking forward to it.
0: Can't wait. B Mark, this was fun. Good luck with everything. And uh good luck. I know if uh I know you're willing to uh sacrifice your arm if Otani needs one, so
1: Yeah, hey, he can he can have everything that's inside my elbow. Don't <laughs> worry, I will give him my UCL.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm sure he appreciates that. But B Mark, this was fun. Thanks for coming on the Money Mitch Effect. Thanks for having me. All right, huge thanks again to Brandon Marcus for coming on today's show. Always a pleasure talking hoops with him. Yeah, we, we did pretty much call it Kawhi Leonard and Popovich meeting late last night in Southern California to discuss his future. I don't think they're going to rush that one, but we'll see what the draft has on tap just a day away. Can't wait for that. Now it's time to talk hockey with my buddy Mike Indergaard. The season is over, but... The award show is tonight. Who's going to come away with the hardware MVP, Vesna for best goalie, rookie of the year, coach of the year. Well, that's pretty much decided as we get into. And some off-season notes as well. Some drama up in Ottawa, what Barry Trotz is going to do next That he's now that he's not coming back to Washington. A lot to discuss as well as the Capitals playoffs, Stanley Cup party. Mike Intergaard to talk hockey here now on the Money Mitch Effect. right, now joining me on the Money Mitch Effect, my old broadcasting buddy calling up north, my guy Mike Indergaard. Mike, thanks for joining the show to talk a little hockey as the season's unfortunately officially over, but thanks for joining the show.
2: Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me, Mitch.
0: I do want to start, this is going to go all over the place because we haven't really discussed the Washington Capitals winning their first Stanley Cup and doing it in Las Vegas and taking the party from Vegas all the way to Washington. But on the ice and what we saw, Mike, we both kind of had a soft spot in our heart for Ovechkin and for Backstrom and the guys on that team that hadn't won before. To see what they did and how they did it, starting with the captain, Mr. Ovechkin, it had to feel pretty good from from your perspective. I know it did for mine to see that guy finally get the trophy that you can tell he'd been waiting his whole life to to win, to hoist up. It doesn't get much better in the sport and the playoff picture, the growing NHL playoffs than that.
2: Yeah, you know, it was it was cool to see him finally get the credit that, that he really has deserved for such a long time. A lot of pundits and talking uh, sports talk people have always said that, well, Ovechkin can score, we know that, but can he lead the team? And I feel like he's done all the little things right It's just throughout his career, they just get overshadowed by his monstrous scoring ability. But I think it was truly evident in this year's playoffs that all the little things were on display. He was out there blocking shots. He was back checking. He was making big defensive zone plays. He was moving the puck around firing and just being an energizing force for his team. And it, it was cool to see him finally get that thing that's eluded him for so long, a Stanley Cup.
0: Yeah, and the notion that he that he didn't show up in the playoffs was kind of ridiculous. Scoring was just as good, about a point a game, more in most playoffs. He was blocking shots, and he was scoring big goals. I know that's one of the things like hockey analytics and, and different people want to break down how big are the goals people are scoring. He was scoring game seven goals, elimination game goals. He scored in the clincher on the power play as well. So he was stepping up. It was great to see. And for the guys like Backstrom, and even further down the depth chart, the Capitals don't win this series without the depth that they had, without Hopey playing well, making that amazing save. So I was happy to see a new team, a team that had won so many games, finally get their Stanley Cup. I do have to ask you, though, Mike, what was your favorite part of the celebration?
2: Well, boy, there's a lot of things to pick. But what was really cool for me to see was actually uh, TJ Oshie getting emotional on the ice, yeah. talking about his dad with Alzheimer's, You know, it was just, he's absolutely right. His dad may not remember a lot of things, but he will certainly remember this for the rest of his life. And um, that was really cool and touching to see.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's a great family. Everybody can vouch for the fact that TJ Oshie is a stand-up guy. And it was cool to see, you know, what it means for those guys, Oshie especially, to win the Stanley Cup. There was a lot of shenanigans swimming in the fountain. I've never seen somebody in Ovechkin get two first pitches in a baseball game before. Two ceremonial first pitches. (laughs) But, you know, for all the stuff, for for swimming in the fountain and for going to random places in the city, I think what's cool, we can kind of get past a little bit, Mike, is that they were celebrating with the fans. And there's something cool about that with me that you might not see in other sports. that they They were ridiculous at times. They were raging all weekend in D.C. But it's cool that they were celebrating that trophy with the fans that have been waiting and wanting it as much as they have.
2: Well, absolutely. You know, I think uh, a lot of hockey players, almost as much as, as any sports team, realize that, you know, without the fan support, without them bringing it every night up in the stands, you don't really have a team. And, and I think it was, it was really cool to see Washington recognize the fans, both people that were able to make it to the games and those watching from home or on the street that they were part of the team and they won this just as much as the players did. So it's really cool to see that connection between players and fans, and especially in a team that's waited so long to win the Cup.
0: Yeah, I mean, I can't think of a place going 0-60, to to 0-100, faster than if a Stanley Cup just shows up. But it's cool. I mean, it's cool (laughs) to see those guys celebrating, and, and I like the quotes about I mean, there's nobody that's been ready to celebrate a, a championship in any team sport better than Alexander Ovechkin. Even the coaches are saying, you know, what are we going to tell him to practice on the offseason as keg stands? You know, they, they know what's <laughs> up. They, they know what's up. But I also think, too, one of the things that everybody gets their day with the cup, and we know how cool that is from following the sport of hockey, but I'm thinking internationally how cool that would be, especially a guy like Lars Eller who scored the cup-winning goal, first guy from Denmark to ever win the Stanley Cup, You know that celebration is going to be amazing when he takes the cup to Denmark.
2: Oh, yeah. And, you know, I think hockey really has has grown in Denmark recently. And Lars Eller has certainly helped uh, that case. But I think bringing the Stanley Cup back to his home country will ignite an even stronger fervor for hockey uh, in that country, which is cool. You know, growing the game through uh, winning a championship. And so I'm just excited everyone on that team to uh, to get their opportunity, their day with the cup, if they can snatch it away from Ovechkin and uh, celebrate with all those that helped bring them to that point.
0: Yeah, it would be like a day with the cup with Ovechkin. I think that's the new tradition now. <laughs> uh, I think that's how it's going to be. But uh, Mike garden, Money Mitch Effect, on the more serious side, interesting development, but maybe not all that shocking. Barry Trotz is not going to come back to Washington it's strange to have a team to, in any sport to have a team win a championship and the coach not returning. It's even more strange when it's not an official retirement. He could, Trotz could step away for a year, maybe retire. He's getting up there in age. But it's, you'd have to go back to Mike Keenan with the St. Louis Blues with the New York Rangers in 94, who left for the Blues. Definitely more of a power struggle, it seemed there. But Mike Trotz not coming back. This is a guy who's top five or six. I think he's fifth all-time in wins in the regular season in NHL history. What's your first thought to the guy winning the Stanley Cup, a great coach for a generation, Barry Trotz not returning to D.C.?
2: Well, you know, I think, I guess my first thought when I I saw the news was kind of shock. You know, I couldn't believe, especially uh, I was reading some stories and stats on it and he has the best record regular season wise in the last four years of any coach in the league. And, you know, he finally got him over the hump. They won the cup and then he left. I think initially it was shock, but as I read into it a little more, there were a lot more layers that needed to be peeled away. You know, there was the, you know, his contract situation, which seemed kind of sticky. And then there was maybe not as much as, uh, uh, Mike Keenan, as you were mentioning, but there was maybe uh, some differences of philosophy or differences of opinion between Trotz and the the general manager Brian McClellan. Yeah, and I think that all played a role. But I guess my first reaction when I saw it definitely was shock.
0: This is strictly money related, and, and I want to make that clear that I understand. I understand to a point. What the Capitals were thinking? Trotz was making 1.5 million last year and did not sign his extension throughout the season. But he had an, he basically opted out of his contract. He had a clause in his contract that said by winning the cup, he gets an extra 300 grand added to his contract, and that's 1.8 million a year. Now let me put it into perspective: Trotz is fifth all time in wins in the regular season. Mike Quinn, the guy, the BU guy that the Rangers just hired, got five years for 12 million. This is a guy that's never coached an NHL game. Trotz fifth all-time in wins, so he wanted more money. I heard he countered with $5 million a year, which is exactly what Claude Julian's getting. I think he deserves it. I mean, I, I mean, he's put in the work and won games, and now is a championship. The, the Capitals have the right not to not to sign him to that deal if they don't want him long-term. They've been grooming, it seemed like, Reardon, the assistant. But, hey, I mean, he's worth that, And and I don't blame him for not wanting to coach at that salary that he was getting offered working under.
2: Oh, absolutely. And and you know, even with reports I read similar reports saying, you know, that Trotz was uh looking for five million. Given his his record and his pedigree and now the fact that he's a Stanley Cup champion, I think that was a bit of a discount even. You know, I mean, really if the if Trotz hit the open market with his track record, he could probably command one of the top five coaching salaries in the NHL. And let's let's not forget that the bulk, since he is fifth all-time in regular season NHL wins, the bulk of his wins came with an expansion franchise. Yeah, You know, let that sink in. Yeah, You know, and it's just, I think it's kind of crazy now. I understand that, you know, there's a lot that goes into managing a salary cap, and Washington probably has a lot of contracts that they want to keep. They want to reconfigure to to keep the team strong and keep the team deep. Um, And maybe they were thinking that, you know, adding a uh, coach's salary to that might kind of make things difficult in that department. But still, given his pedigree and given what he's done, uh, I think you got to pay the man.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think he's worth $5 million a year is what Claude Julien got. They have one championship. Babcock and Quinville are each at about six. That's the highest. And, I mean, that's he's right in that range. I mean, I really believe that. So Todd Reardon going to have a tough job. Uh, following after a championship in his first job. It's going to be a lot of pressure early, even though they, they did win the Cup last year. I think there's going to be pressure for him to win early, given that Trotz is out. If I'm the Islanders, i got to make a call, right? I mean, this is a perfect scenario. Trotz <laughs> hits the open market. Lou Amorello Lou is taking over. He seems like a slam dunk to me.
2: Oh, absolutely. I mean, at least make a call, you know. I mean, well, it, yeah, you'd, be, you'd be foolish not not to. You know, you never know what how the chips are going to fall, but it's not not that often that someone uh, that caliber, especially with that hockey mind and that that track record, becomes available.
0: And when you're trying to keep one of the top five to ten players, definitely by top ten, but Tavares, you're trying to keep him. You want to keep him happy. I'd be pretty happy to play for Barry Trotz. That's all I'm saying. So absolutely we'll see what happens there Um, some other things to talk about before we get to the NHL awards which are going to air tonight when this episode drops the NHL awards but before that there were actually some other coaching changes in the league and I wanted to bring up a few with you Mike just because the last time we talked we were talking about college hockey and the frozen four and I remember you mentioned that There has never been a time in the NHL where college players were making more of an impact. The numbers are up. The percentage of college players in the league has never been higher. We had two big coaching hires uh, among a few. Mike, from the college ranks, Quinn, who I mentioned, came from BU, is now the Rangers coach, and Montgomery coaching the Dallas Stars from Denver. These were very well-respected college coaches, but even so, I I can't remember a year when you had more prominent coaches, at least a tandem like this, coming into the NHL. And, and I do think, based on what we were talking about a couple months ago, you're starting to see the effect of the college game. And then also these general managers in the NHL thinking, what better to coach these young guys, a lot of them that played college, than college coaches that have done well. So I think there's definitely a correlation there.
2: Yeah, I definitely would have to agree. And, you know, I think there's there's always a – a learning curve, a bit of an adjustment. You know, you're going back to a few years, Dave Hacksall joining the NHL or becoming an NHL coach. And well before that, guys like Badger Bob Johnson and uh, Herb Brooks, who even coached a little bit in the NHL. You know, I think the biggest learning curve for them is being able to handle professional athletes. It's one thing to to push buttons to get a college kid who's who's hungry to – possibly make it to the NHL who's there in a in school in a learning environment. It's one thing to push a kid like that their buttons, it's another thing to try to push the right buttons on a professional athlete making millions of dollars. So I think, you know, these college coaches have a bit of a learning curve, but they also bring a lot of insight and a fresh energy to these teams that is kind of a welcome aspect by the players.
0: Yeah, that's a good point, especially with how the game's kind of kind of transitioning to faster, I don't want to say looser, but definitely more of an emphasis on skill. And I think college hockey, as we both know, is a great place where you're going to see skill development, some elite-level goal scoring as well too. It used to be the case where you're not going to get as much elite-level goal scoring in college. And you can look at the Stanley Cup playoffs as evidence that that's not the case any longer. I do want to switch to definitely something more serious here, Mike Intergard, Money Mitch Effect. The Ottawa Senators are in the news for all the wrong reasons. And the story I want to focus on is the now no longer member of the team uh, because of the trade that took place today with Hoffman getting traded, Mike Hoffman getting traded a couple of times, now ending up on the Florida Panthers. But the situation with Hoffman and his fiancée slash girlfriend with the Carlsons, who unfortunately lost a child this year, and, and Carlson's wife basically saying that, Hoffman's fiance was the one that was trolling her online. This is a lot to digest. It still hasn't been proven. Just want to be clear these are allegations. But it seemed like a fractured situation. We've both been in hockey locker rooms, Mike. I just don't know how you could come back from this one way or the other based on what went down and the fact that no one's really rallying behind Hoffman and his fiance. Just a messy situation and one that I can't really think of any other example of
2: yeah certainly not in in hockey, you know, and it's just if and like you said these these are allegations, you know, nothing's been proven yet, but some of the evidence at least that's been reported just does not shed a good light on Mike Hoffman or his fiance and you know, honestly, I don't know how Mike Hoffman can make much of a career going forward, given all this stuff that's come to light, especially in Ottawa, a team that, you know, was having some ownership issues and front office issues to have your significant other or fiance do that to your team's best player. You know, I mean, the uh, the guy that's really carrying your team. I mean, any other team in the league is going to look at that and realize that this guy is going to be a distraction and, and, um, you know, just a messy situation. I couldn't really believe it when I was reading it. I mean, this is you know, Hollywood soap opera stuff. This isn't stuff you think of happening. But given today's uh, media age and social media age, I suppose things like that are going to start to pop up more frequently now.
0: And we do want to be clear, these are allegations. And, and it is possible that if it's proven that Hoffman's fiance is responsible for these reprehensible things, that maybe he didn't know, that maybe he was you know, taken aback to. And then that's sad also. So we want to want to point that out as well i just i do want to point out that there's nobody rallying a lot of the team wives and team girlfriends are saying that basically good for carlson's wife and that this was kind of a habitual thing that they didn't get along and i do i remember i think it was Pat, uh, patrick sullivan who said on twitter today it was weird like often clearly wasn't very liked it's kind of a known known thing i guess in the center's locker room and the fact that he had to email a teammate to, to talk to him Kind of is weird that they weren't on a relationship where he could just text or call him or, or even just go up to him in person uh, as well. So it seemed like a messy situation. There was drama behind the scenes. It starts to make more sense now. Hoffman gets traded from the centers of San Jose and then to Florida. So we'll see what his career holds going forward. But on the hockey side, trying to get to a lighter tone, Mike, this is going to be a big off season for a lot of reasons. And number one being Eric Carlson – a transcendent defenseman, probably already one of the top ten to fifteen defensemen to ever play the game, is going to hit the is going to hit the market. He's a viable trade option, and he's in his prime. So I got to ask you: it, the likelihood, Mike, that you think he's going to get traded, and just what kind of a haul it would take to get Carlson away from Ottawa? Maybe not as much as he's worth.
2: Well, you know, given given the the situation that's just unfolded, I think that might affect him a little bit, but I, I, I definitely think, you know, there's a greater chance than not that he is out of Ottawa, but I, you know, I feel like even, even given the the situation, it's still going to take quite a haul. I mean, it's going to take, you know, at least a first round draft pick one or two high prospects and, and probably a top six player to get him uh, and trade value. And, it's just it's not that often that a guy of that caliber makes it to the trade market, you know. And I mean, it'd be kind of cool to see the sweepstakes for him. And and um, but I think I think he is out of Ottawa, and I think it's going to be quite a haul for the Senators.
0: Yeah, Ottawa's going to go into full rebuild mode, and it's kind of sad they were in double overtime, you know, last year. Of Game seven of the Eastern Conference Final, and they're going to be tearing down the team, and the owners threaten relocation. We don't know if that's an empty threat or not, but it's going to be bad. I think draft picks have to be the key to this trade, as well as some young talent, as well as some prospects there, but hey, he's Eric Carlson. If you have a chance to get him, and you're not giving up the entire farm, we know what kind of difference he could make, but you look at some of the moves that might happen. I mean, we were talking before we went on, Mike. I'm a little nervous about Panarin. He, didn't, he's, he, he indicated he didn't want to sign his extension. Everybody flipped out. Every team started, you know, tongues out, like, how can we get this guy? We'll see what happens there. Dowdy's up for an extension, too, another transcendent defenseman. I'm excited. I'm a little terrified, but I'm excited for this offseason and, and starting with the draft.
1: Oh, yeah,
2: the uh, you know, Tavares, also, being available, I don't know if I can remember uh, an offseason where this many big names would potentially be available. And uh, going back to Panarin, I've been trying to follow some of the news today about what teams could potentially be interested in him. And and one thing that, that keeps popping up that really interests me is the St. Louis Blues. Vladimir Tarasenko. The Blues star player happens to be one of Panarin's best friends. And I've read multiple reports that several years ago, Tarasenko basically begged the Blues front office to sign Panarin, who was basically an unknown at that point out of Russia. They didn't listen to him. He ended up with the Blackhawks and became the bread man. But I keep reading these stories about the Blues potentially coming as a front runner. Now, it would have to be quite a quite a trade, you know, and I feel like given the, the Blues have a lot of really good prospects right now, a lot of good young players, I'm not sure as good as Panarin is if it's worth giving up the farm for that. But time will tell, and it should be a uh, fun and exciting offseason.
0: Yeah, the only thing I'll say to that, the Blues are going to have to – Offer up a top six player. I do not see Tortorella at this stage in the Blue Jackets' development. They're getting close. They had that playoff test. They won the first two games against the Stanley Cup champion. They're not going to trade Panarin for just prospects. So, man, I hope they don't trade him at all. I hope I regret saying that. So <laughs> we'll see. We'll see <laughs> yeah. what happens. Uh, but it is going to be exciting. Lots of stuff to see. All right, Mike Ingar, Money Mitch Effect. Let's wrap this up by talking about the NHL awards tonight. The time of this posting of this podcast will be. In Vegas, giving out the awards or some uh, people around the league. Some celebrities will be there as well. It should be a good show. No expansion draft this year, so one less thing to watch. But, Mike, we'll start with the two easiest awards, GM of the year and Coach of the year. I mean, it's not leaving Las Vegas. Come on.
2: Uh, well, obviously. You know, I that that is, of all the no-brainers, that is absolutely a no-brainer. I honestly don't. I honestly don't know how it couldn't possibly be those two, that those awards are going to Vegas.
0: McPhee, McPhee's going to laugh when he accepts GM of the, of the year, and I do think, all due respect to Jared Bednar, who's, I think, a good second place for Colorado. Great coaching job this year. Golan should just thank the Panthers. That should be the only thing he thanks is the Panthers for firing. <laughs> it would be kind of funny. Um, one thing I wanted to bring up, there was the Ted Lindsay Award is the best player as voted on by the NHLPA. Three finalists are Taylor Hall, Nathan McKinnon, and Connor McDavid. And I think McDavid's going to win this one because this isn't the MVP. This is who the players think is the best player in the league. It's got to be the guy who led the league in scoring.
2: Oh, absolutely. Uh, You know, as, as and you can make a really strong argument for Taylor Hall to win this award, but just the one thing that these players know, they're all, to make it to the NHL, you have to have, elite level talent and in terms of elite level talent among elite level talent I mean you don't get much better than McDavid and I know the players recognize that so I'm gonna agree with you there I think uh, McDavid is the choice for that even though Hall had an unbelievable season basically carrying uh, New Jersey on his shoulders I think uh, when the players are voting on talent they're going to have to recognize the best of the best, and that's McDavid right now.
0: I think they are for sure. Uh, I want to get to the main candidates, main awards this year, Lady Bing Trophy, basically most gentlemanly player, the Wayne Gretzky Award as well. Barkoff from Florida, Wild Bill Carlson from Vegas, Ryan O'Reilly from Buffalo. Mike, how do you see this one playing out?
2: I, uh, Given uh, what I saw this year from the players, all three of these players very deserving of that word, but I you know, I think I would have to go with William Carlson of Las Vegas. Las Vegas gets another award with his level of play and how he was and, and acted on the ice was almost Datsukian. Yeah. And I believe uh he comes home with the award.
0: I'm going Ryan O'Reilly for one reason. He had two penalty minutes all season. <laughs> Like, I mean, come on, I guess that's most gentlemanly. I don't know. I know he was like on a pretty bad team, but it, you know, we'll see how the voters choose to give this award out. It's never really uh, a rhyme or reason. But one award I really want your take on is the Calder Memorial Trophy, Rookie of the Year. Is it going to be Matt Barzel, Brock Bozer, or Clayton Keller, Mike? I want you to pick with your head and not your heart on this one.
2: <laughs> I Another knew game. you were going to say that, Mitch. And <laughs> if I'm picking with my head. It's Matthew Barzal. Um, You know, as lethal of a scorer as Brock Betzer was this year and as good as Clayton Keller was on a team that wasn't necessarily that great, Barzal was the leading point-getter among the three. He's the best playmaker of the three and really provided almost a 1A, 1B to Tavares, which is really saying something. On a, on a on a pretty good team in the New York Islanders. So if I'm going with my head, Matthew Barzal is taking this
0: award home. Yeah, all three of these guys. should. I want to point out that this rookie class got a lot of flack for not being as good as, you know, the Matthews, McDavid. This is still a pretty good rookie class, and, and highlighted by these three guys. Betzer's a sniper, but, yeah, Barzal's a playmaker. And I would say the main reason why Tavares is looking to stay is to play with this guy for the, you know, foreseeable future, but... <laughs> It, this was a, a, a strong two-horse race between Betzer and Barzal, but I agree, Barzal is the guy in this case. What about Mike the Selkie Award? Will Bergeron get what? This would be his fifth if he wins. I think Patrice Bergeron going for his fifth tro- Selkie Trophy for best defensive forward, going up against Sean Couturier and Anze Kopitar of the Los Angeles Kings. Who wins it?
2: Well, I think you got to go Bergeron. I mean, he's just—he is so. You can't really put a value on on his defensive zone play. I mean, he's money in the faceoff circle, and he provides a leadership and a defensive zone play that I don't think is matched by any other forward in today's game. And I, I think he comes home with what I do believe is is his fifth would be his fifth Selke Trophy.
0: Man, wow, that's 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 definitely a record if he does pull it off i'm gonna go kopitar though he's been a finalist three times i think it's his time to win it bergeron missed 18 games this year and i know that's not you know he, he still played 64 and he played at a very high level but i think that might make a difference kopitar the job he did uh, down the stretch to even get the kings to the playoffs playing the way that he does i'll go kopitar but either way it's a these are two of the best at what they do and uh I think it should be fun to see. I think it might be some little voter fatigue, you know. Can't can't give it to the same guy every year, so we'll see. That's true. That's true. Two more awards to get to the Vesna for best goalie: Mike, Connor Hellebuck, Pekka Renee, Andre Vasilevsky. This ended up being a wide open race. Both of the, all three of these guys had ups and downs. They were clearly the best goalies. It's a preference pick. Who's your goalie of these three to win the award?
2: Well, um, you know, I look at each of these goalies brings, you know, a different skill set, I feel like, but they're all three big, big goalies. You know, you got Renee, who's been a rock his entire career. But he's, you know, I look at Renee; he's got a fantastic team in front of him. And as far as defensive core go, I think Hellebuck also has a really good team in front of him. So I'm going to kind of go out on a limb here i think vasilevsky comes home with this award just because
0: okay yeah
2: he's got headman he's got some good defensemen on his team but i just feel like tampa bay is a little bit more of an offensive oriented team uh and vasilevsky provided a stable backbone for them in net
0: okay wow that is uh an interesting pick i don't necessarily agree with it I'm going to go Pekka. He had a uh, higher goals against the save percentage. It was marginally close, but this is wide open. I mean, Hellbook set the record for most wins by an American-born goalie. Vasilevsky had ups and downs. He's a little streaky. I mean, when he's on, he's he played better than the other two goalies. His peak was, but yeah, I, I think this is going to be an interesting award. And really, a lot of them, all three of these teams really ended their season on a. On a all three of these goalies ended their season on a poor note. Pekka, especially so. We'll see what happens there. Then finally, the MVP trophy, the Hart Trophy. MVP of the league, Taylor Hall, Anze Kopitar, Nathan McKinnon. All due respect to Anze Kopitar. It's a great year. He was a uh, definitely deserving of being a top three candidate, but it seems like a two-horse race between Hall and McKinnon. Who's your MVP, Mike?
2: My MVP is uh, Taylor Hall. Just I almost feel like no other player carried his team like Taylor Hall did. I mean, that team lived and died with how Taylor Hall was, and he had to bring it each and every night, and he did. He had an unbelievable season. So I'm going with Taylor Hall to win uh, the Hart Trophy.
0: Oh, man, I I agree. I just feel sad that we're not going to give an award to Nathan McKinnon for the year that he had. You know, I and, and, and I agree with all the points that you made about Hall carrying his team and no one even coming close to his point total and the big games he had down the stretch and that point streak and the multi-point streak and all that stuff. He deserves it. He's my MVP. But Nathan McKinnon was pretty damn good this year. And without him and without his uh, little bit of a mini resurgence, even though he's still pretty young, the Avalanche would have been nowhere near the playoff picture as well.
2: Yeah, you know, that's, this is another kind of wide open, well, like you said, a two-horse race for MVP. And, and kind of uh, between those two wide open, like, like the Vesna. Race will be this year, so so definitely tune in tonight for what should be an entertaining and exciting night for the NHL and uh, its fans.
0: And it's Vegas, so you never know what could happen in the desert as well. <laughs> <laughs> I think the cup might make an appearance. We'll see, uh, Mike. Mike <laughs> in oh, and uh, what else was uh,
2: kind of cool about uh, what I was reading is the surviving members of the Humboldt Broncos, yeah, yeah. the junior team in Canada that was involved in that horrific bus crash earlier this year the members that are able to make it the survivors will be there tonight which is really cool Mm -hmm. um i feel like they deserve it and i hope they get the royal treatment
0: yeah that's awesome first time that they're all going to reunite it's going to be very very cool to see hockey community rallying around them mike indergaard this was fun appreciate you coming on Good luck with everything, and uh, it'll only be a few short months before we got hockey again, so we'll just go into hibernation for a little bit.
2: Yep, uh, just a little bit. Got to get through the summer here and then bring on another season. Thanks again. Thanks for having me, Mitch.
0: Special thanks again to both guests, Brandon Marcus and Mike Intergaard for appearing on today's show. Thanks to Brian Nelson for supplying the logo, Tim Adams for supplying the beats. I'm excited as well as everybody else is for the NBA draft and the NHL awards. This was the Money Mitch Effect. You can find every episode of this show on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Google Play. This is episode 150, if you can believe it. Thanks again to everybody out there for listening, helping to make this podcast special and continue to grow. Check us on the Money Mitch Effect Facebook page and me at Twitter, Money Mitch M21. Appreciate everybody out there. Once again, this was the Money Mitch Effect. Until next time, keep enjoying sports. We'll be back next week to talk more, as well as a little Wimbledon preview. You're not going to want to miss that. I am Mitch Michaels. This was the Money Mitch Effect. We'll see you next time.